Hello, I'm Dana Brooks of Facing Brooks Law Offices, and you are back for another edition of the Empower Hour brought to you by the Empower Plant. Hey, everyone. This is the Empower Plant, and this is the Empower Hour, which is a one hour every week where we meet and celebrate an empowered woman from our community to inspire us and teach us. And today we have the wonderful Anita Coonley, Dr. Anita Coonley. She says we can call her Dr. Anita or Anita. And uh, she is an author. She is a highly educated um, PhD in counselor education. And she's gonna tell us about her book, which is called The Mr. Rogers Effect, which is um, very popular and inspiring people everywhere. And reminding people like me of my childhood watching Mr. Rogers, which I enjoyed thoroughly. I, you know, I was a child of the 80s. So when I came home from school, we would watch, um, I'm one of six kids too. So we have a lot of, ca- a lot of cable. <laughs> we didn't have that good cable. We had like three or four um, stations and one of them was PBS. So we could, we got home from school, we could watch Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers came on right after it. And I have the most wonderful memories of that and of him. So I'm so excited to meet you. Um, We have an awesome panel here today. Uh, We've got Denisha Hill from our office. Hello. Hey, Denise. We've got Kia Thomas. Hi, everyone. Hi, girl. Hey. We've got Carrie Roan, who's had a a heck of a week out fighting for her clients, but she made time for us today. Thanks for coming, CR. Yay. And finally, we have Anita. So Anita, please tell us about yourself. We want to get to know you. Well, thank you for that very gracious introduction, Betsy. I really appreciate that. It's great to be here with all of you guys and uh, get to meet you um, virtually. Um, and I'm so excited to hear that you grew up watching Mr. Rogers, grew up with the neighborhood. There's some research that shows that children who grew up watching the neighborhood tend to have longer attention spans and higher levels of creativity uh, than those that were exposed to some of the other types of programming. So uh, that's exciting um, <laughs> and exciting for uh, children today, since many of those episodes are still out there and uh, they can be accessed. And then, of course, Mr. Rogers' descendant, Daniel Tiger's neighborhood, uh, is, was based on his puppet, the Daniel Tiger puppet, and now it's its own animated program. I feel like we could talk this, we could spend this entire hour talking about, you know, what I remember and, and what stuck with me from Mr. Rogers, because, um, like I said, it's just that feeling of nostalgia when I think of him. And then when I had small children myself, they watched Daniel Tiger. And I remember thinking, I remember that character when we would go off and they would get on the train. I mean, I say we, but they would have the train come out and then you go to the make-believe world and yeah. all the, the puppets were there. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder though, like with the with the current programming for kids, would they ever be satisfied with that or have they become you know used to a lot of action and a lot of like an- amazing animation and or, or would they still connect with a program like that what do you think you know that, that's such a good question because I mean when it comes to Mr. Rogers he definitely uh intentionally took a slower pace he was mentored by Dr. Margaret McFarlane and she was a developmental psychologist at the University of Pittsburgh she worked with some key players like uh Eric Erickson and Benjamin Spock, who were some of the big names in developmental psych. And they hit it off so well when he took a counseling class there that they started a friendship and a mentoring relationship that lasted for the rest of her life uh, until she died in her 80s. And so she helped him try to figure out how to make his programming therapeutic and developmentally appropriate. So I like to call him uh, America's children's television therapist because everything mm-hmm. he did was designed to be therapeutic. So it wasn't always as fast paced as some of the other programming, but if children could can you know settle into it, a lot of times they can connect with different aspects. Like there was a little boy who was watching and he was about three years old and he told his mom, mom, I think he knows my name. And it was interesting. He just felt so seen and cared for by Mr. Rogers that just watching him on television, he felt like Mr. Rogers knew him. 
one of the things that comes up a lot when I talk with people about the book is that um, they'll often say, we need Mr. Rogers now more than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's something in our society that uh, leads people to long for the type of programming that he offered that is characteristically different from some of the things that we see on, on television today. The word that comes to my mind is comforting. Comforting. I, I yeah. think that's the reason I have these good memories is because it was a comforting show to watch. And, and not only that, but he tackled big topics, didn't he, Anita? Like mm-hmm. he, he, he tackled the, the race relation issue. Um, he, you know, he, he tried to teach children about that. I, I think the episode was they had, um, what was it? The black law enforcement officer who was on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had him and, and they sat together and they put their feet together in um, an out, like a waiting pool. Yeah. And, and it was, it was to show children, like, this is my friend and this is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I just, I don't remember what year that was or what time in our history that precisely it was, but so meaningful for that time period. I love that. I love that episode because, you know, when he he invited Officer Clemens to be a reoccurring uh, star on his program to play that role, you know, week after week, and he wanted children to see, you know, an African-American role model uh, that was cast in this positive light. And he wanted um, also to take a stand against racism. So when there was programming where people were like, putting chemicals into pools and pouring bleach on African Americans trying to get them out of pools. Mr. Rogers clearly took a stand and said, I want officer comes to come swimming in my pool. Not given it was low budget television and they had a kid's little <laughs> blue mm-hmm. plastic pool, but that didn't change the meaning. You know, he said, why don't you come soak your feet? And officer Clemens said, Oh, you know, I don't have a towel. And he said, that's okay. You can use mine. And then, you know, we see him sort of drying officer Clemens feet and, um, for Mr. Rogers, he was also a person of faith. And so I think that also represented something significant about the sort of servant heart and the love for the neighbor, his neighbors that he brought uh, to his programming and, and the clear message that everyone was his neighbor, mm-hmm. regardless of skin color. So so tell us about how you came to, um, to realize that Mr. Rogers would be a great topic for a book to tie into what children are experiencing today? Well, you know, it happened. So I uh, work at one of the large nonprofit universities and I train counselors and um, I was teaching an intensive class where we have a you know large group of students come in and work on um, developing clinical skills. And we were talking about helping people process painful emotions and um, specifically anger. And I showed them this video clip uh, before I'd ever even thought of the book or anything like that of Mr. Rogers addressing Senator Pastore. Have you guys heard of that one or seen? I've that? seen that. I don't remember it. I know the clip you're talking about. Okay. Uh, I saw it on somebody's Facebook feed and I clicked on it, and I'm so glad I did because it was great. But please tell us, tell us all about it. Yes, I'm so glad you saw it, and um, it was just this phenomenal interaction where you know. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood was on the chopping block. They were about to cut funding for his programming um, and reroute it uh, to other uh, budgetary areas. And he was there to advocate uh, for PBS and for his program. And Senator Pastore was a self-proclaimed pretty tough guy, you know, self-proclaimed curmudgeon. And, you know, Mr. Rogers came, he had his paperwork and he was ready to read his statement and, uh, you know, Senator Pastore made it clear he didn't really want people reading any more statements. And so Mr. Rogers said, well, you know, I have prepared the statement, but I won't read it. I'll just talk about it. And I trust that you'll do what you said and that you will read it because that's one of the first important lessons children learn in families is trust. And of course, Senator Pastore was irritated and said, would it make you happy if you read it? Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Rogers is like, no, that's okay. I just like to talk about it if you don't, you know, if, you, if that's okay with you. And so right away, Senator Pastore kind of started to soften, kind of mellow. And you could see Mr. Rogers kind of looking past his words um, and, and maintaining his composure, not getting defensive back, um, which would have been very easy to do given how he was, you know, being treated. And then by the end of their interaction, Senator Pastore, I mean, he had just 
transform this guy from adversary to ally. And he was saying, you know, well, when does this program come on? I would like to watch this program. How can I access it? And, and the, the last thing Mr. Rogers shared with him before he said that, I think, was was really powerful. And it ties into what we're talking about uh, related to, to children and, and school violence. Hey, is it unlocked, Joe? And uh, that was this idea. <laughs> Go like this to the driver's door. And, then uh, and there's Joe, okay. our own Joe. Rogers. No. <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Nudu. We have about a seat of our pants. I am. Oh, you're good. <laughs> but you know he noticed that senator pastore was experiencing some frustration um i think he, he didn't say that overtly but he asked him permission he said may i share with you the words of a song and it came from a little boy and a little boy asked me mr rogers what do you do with that mad that you feel inside and that's what he called it what do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you could bite the whole wide world feels oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right and then towards the end of the song, uh, one of the last lines is, it's good to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and do something else instead and think this song. And he stressed how, how wonderful it was for children to have that good feeling of self-control and to be able to stop. Can you get it? Yeah. And adults, not just children. But I mean, you were just saying that and I was like, man, I need to remember that. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it, that transcends age. That's not just for kids. That's, that's something we all could, could use a refresher on from time right. to time. Very true. Uh, My husband's a psychiatrist and he, he first started working with adults and then he went back and got trained to work with kids. And he often says that he had to get trained to work with kids to learn how to work with adults. And now he says he works uh, with children from age three to 103. Yeah. <laughs> So it was this interaction between the Senator Pastore and, and Mr. Rogers that, that sparked your inspiration to write this book somewhat? Yeah, so it was, I showed this to my students in the classroom and, um, and what happened was then I asked them, what was it like for you guys to see this video of Mr. Rogers interacting with Senator Pastore and helping him process, uh, you know, and sort of walking him through this process and also kind of addressing his feelings of anger uh, indirectly. And one of my students, uh, she said, well, I work in the inner city schools and my kids, they don't have a Mr. Rogers and they wind up turning to violence and hurting each other um, because they don't know what to do with their anger. And that just really stuck with me. It would just weight on my heart. And I kept, you know, just thinking about and praying about these kids and thinking, you know, everybody needs to have somebody. Everybody needs to have a Mr. Rogers like figure in their neighborhood, whether that's their school counselor or a teacher or a coach or a neighbor or just someone uh, that is like that safe place as that person that cares for them and helps them learn how to organize their feelings and uh, express them in ways that don't hurt them or others. And so as I was thinking about that and praying about that, you know, the thought kept coming that, you know, what well, we need to, just because Mr. Rogers died nearly 20 years ago, doesn't mean all those messages and all that good that he brought into the world has to die with him. So then I started working on a qualitative research project with some colleagues and say, how can we analyze his work and look at how did he do this? And so we identified like the top seven themes. There was a longer list, but we came to consensus on the top seven. And then um, I just kept researching those themes and looking at unpacking them through uh, the Mr. Rogers effect. And so um, we were really on a mission to um, help people know how to maintain that presence um, in every neighborhood, in every school system, so that there can be a school counselor, a teacher, a coach, someone that is able to help children uh, make sense of their emotions, uh, know that their anger is mentionable and manageable, and deal with it in ways that doesn't hurt them or hurt other people. Wow, that's amazing. And, you know, I actually wrote that down on my pad, be the Mr. Rogers, because that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So let's go to our panel. I've been talking the whole time. So um, Carrie, since you might have to dip out, why don't you go first? What you got? Well, you know, I haven't thought about Mr. Rogers in a really long time. And, um, you know, you said something earlier that I think is important to talk about. And it's whether or not kids would find him interesting now or as compelling as some television now. 
But what I found with my kids growing up is that I was in charge of that, right? So most kids will watch the screen if you let them and they'll see whatever's on it and they'll be interested in it because it's so different. If it's the, the wiggles or yo-yo ma, not yo-yo ma, what's it? What's the one I'm trying to think of? Yo-yo ma's yo Yo-Yo Mom's the cellist that was actually on Mr. Rogers. <laughs> so that's why he's like in the forefront of my mind. But so, you know, I would love to like reverse the hands of time for my kids and like make sure that they watched all the Mr. Rogers episodes. We control so much or we have been able to control so much of what they consume through television. But now through social media, it's really, really hard to not be able to control that. But I wish I had I wish I could go back and, and make them watch all those. I mean, there's so many treasured ones. Like mm-hmm. I remember when they talked about his dog dying. That was the first time I had ever heard anybody talk about death. And then there was like, I think they had, I think he had a kid on a wheelchair in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And they, they, then they went up having like a reunion, like later on. And it was like big in the news. And that was the first time I had ever seen a child with any disabilities. Like there were so many firsts for me from watching that show. I just think it's so valuable. So that was a really long winded way <laughs> of asking you, what is the, what is the type of value that your book is bringing to both adults and children um, that we would benefit from reading? Well, it's funny that you mentioned both the um, the situation with when he was able to bring up uh, uncomfortable topics, like he brought up the topic of death, and uh, he invited uh, Jeffrey Erlinger, uh, the young man in the wheelchair, to be on his show and um, share with people, you know, uh, what he was experiencing. Um, so I thought that those were were really uh, neat moments uh, that you mentioned. So. Um, Sorry that the chat came up. Yeah, I just saw it too. Somebody, I think it looks like that's either Dana or I don't know. It's somebody from basic. Oh, it's Greg. My favorite moment is when Jeff Erlinger, the boy in the wheelchair, reunited with Mr. Rogers when he was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame. Yeah, that was the moment I was thinking about where they had their 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 um, get together. Hey, y'all, y'all talking about the, the dog dying and now the reunion. I'm going to start crying here in just a minute. Don't mess up the Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot, Carrie. Um, but uh, yeah, no, no, that was a great question, um, Carrie, that you asked. Like, what what can we as a, adults learn from from your book? Yeah. So, um, thanks for for asking about that. So, with the book, it you know the Mister Rogers effect. The original subtitle was the seven things every difference maker needs to know. Um, and then the publishers kind of tweaked it a little bit and wanted to be the, the seven secrets of bringing out the best in yourself and others from America's beloved neighbor. But um, what we did is it looked at his experiences through a psychological lens and understanding, you know, we know wow, the things he did, right? He, he died 20 years ago and he's still being um, displayed on the big screen with Tom Hanks starring Mr. Rogers. He saved, he's credited with saving public television, mm-hmm. earning $20 million in minutes, able to convert people from adversaries to allies, able to connect with children through this screen long before Zoom was a mainstay. But how, like, what was his recipe or formula and how can we, you know, learn from what he did to be able to uh, have this, have a similar uh, impact or, or, you know, in have an impact in our own way, but use some of the tools that he left behind. And so um, the book walks through these seven different strategies. And like one of the first ones is this idea of listening with more than your ears and breaks down these uh, psychological strategies into easy to implement um, steps that we can take that will help us have a greater impact in our own neighborhood, so to speak. And our our neighborhood could mean, you know, our Mm -hmm. our office or our actual neighborhood or um, our family situation or whoever it is that we're, you know, interacting with on a regular basis. So, and just real quick to follow up, Betsy, I didn't mean to jump on you, but like when you say have a greater impact, like what are some of the examples, like what can we do to have a better impact in our neighborhood or in our office or our own family lives? Yeah, great question. So, you know, one of the things, one of the 
you know, I like to ask people of these seven secrets, which one did you resonate with the most? A lot of times people have said it's been the secret of empathy. Um, So just to use that one as an example, since people seem to really resonate with that is um, one of the things that we unpack there is the difference between empathy and sympathy, because so often we're socialized to just show sympathy. So if you say, you know, um, you know, as we went through a tough time, like our family pet died and, you know, or my grandmother died or, you know, I had some kind of loss, you know, a friend or colleague might say, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. And then you might say, oh, you know, thank you, period, and sentence, maybe move on to something else, right? Um, and so with sympathy, sometimes that can lead to disconnection and shut down a conversation. But with empathy, well, let's say your colleague says, oh, I know you were so close with your, your grandmother and she played such a special role in your life and uh, even helped raise you. Uh, that must be so tough to, to lose someone so special. Help me understand how you've been coping with this loss. Um, then that sort of opens up the door for more connection and mm. discussion. And so in counseling, uh, sometimes people, when they're first getting trained to become counselors, when so- a client cries in session, they may get really uncomfortable yeah. and they may have been socialized to say, oh, don't cry. It's okay. Mm. But it's more helpful. And one of the things that Mr. Rogers said, and he rarely ever stopped production, but he actually stopped production one time because someone told a puppet not to cry. And he said, I want you ever to tell a puppet, a child or any person not to cry. It's better to say, it's okay to cry. I'm here to be with you. Because all it means if we tell a person not to cry is that we tend to be uncomfortable with their expression of emotion. And so in, in this empathy chapter, we break down the subtle distinctions between sympathy and empathy. And there's kind of a chart with different phrasing and how you can make subtle changes in your phrasing that can, these small changes that can have a huge impact in uh, how you connect with other people. That sounds really interesting. And I, I mean, I consider myself an empathetic person, especially what we do in personal injury. But I think I have room for improvement just based on what I just heard from you. So thank you very much for that. Oh, that's, I appreciate you putting it in those terms because I can see how that would be something that could come up a lot with people sharing about their injuries. And, um, you know, then we were socialized to respond with sympathy. So it can be interesting to think about, okay, am I responding with sympathy or empathy? And, um, you know, empathy definitely will open up that discussion a bit more. But I do think that's that's one that um, people in the helping professions tend to resonate with because it allows for just greater connection and uh, dialogue. Um, so that one, that, that can be really helpful. Another one, um, just one, uh, one more example while we're on the topic is showing gratitude. You know, it sounds like such a you know, cliche that we've been always taught to count our blessings. However, the research literature shows us that when people express gratitude, um, it can be associated and correlated with uh, higher levels of resilience, decreases in depression levels, increases in social connection, increases in happiness, and increased acts of helpfulness and generosity, as well as uh, increased satisfaction for their relationship partners. So our sense of gratitude can even help our partners to be more satisfied uh, with life. So it's one of those things that just has so many positive uh, aspects associated with it. And Mr. Rogers had this technique he used, and I'd love to try it with you guys if you're comfortable with it. Um, it's just this this 10 second sort of activity. Um, is it, would that be okay? I'm game. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So anytime he would speak, whether it was at the uh, award ceremony that Greg referred to where he was, you know, receiving an award uh, on television or whether he was speaking at a graduation ceremony, he had this question that he always liked to ask people. And um, I'll just adapt it for our current setting. Um, you guys are helping people navigate and, and recover and deal with the aftermath of personal injury. Um, you have training in law, you have, you're trying to empower women through this empower hour, you guys are making a difference, you have, you know, uh, you're you're out there reaching out to people, connecting with people and helping people every day. But chances are, uh, you didn't get here alone, chances 
chances are there is somebody on your journey of becoming who you are today that uh, cared for you and sought to nurture the potential inside of you and, and the best that lies within you. And um, they might be nearby. They may even be in the room with you. They may be far away or they may even be in heaven. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to invite you to take a moment to take 10 seconds to just think about uh, a person who loved you into being who you are today. And I'll keep the time. Ooh. This is intimate. <laughs> really? <laughs> Thank Carrie, you. you're, Carrie, are you thinking about me? <laughs> yeah, actually, the first person that popped into my head was Dana because Dana's professionally encouraged me probably mm-hmm. for like um, 15 years, maybe, and maybe 12 years or something. And she's really encouraged me from a professional standpoint. But then Anita said at the end, who's like loved you into existence, mm-hmm. I was like, well, I don't know that Dana like loved me that much. Like, <laughs> I shifted over to, you know, my, my parents who always encouraged me to just never stop and never quit. You know, don't look at myself as a girl who has disadvantages. Just, just be, just be who you are. So that's after Dana, I thought about my parents. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> I may have done it wrong, but I also thought about more people than, than just one. You know, I know that was the assignment, but I thought about my, my parents, of course. But then at different times in my life, I've been lucky enough to have mentors for whatever I was going through at that point. And, um, I, I don't know how or why, um, maybe it's just the universe that attracts the people that we need to us. So we have that, but, um, I just, my mind was going, you know, through my life as it's been up till now and, and people who have been there for me through every stage and mentored me to, to your, to your point. So, um, wow. So what is, what is, what is, what are we meant to gain from this? Um, other than just. Well, thank you guys for sh- for sharing, you know, speaking to mind for you. And, I, you know, how in terms of what you're supposed to gain, he would typically follow this question up with this this idea that think about how happy those individuals would be to know that they played a role in, in your success and you getting to where you are today. And, um, you know, there's also the idea that there will be people um, that, think of you in this moment when they're asked this question and are grateful like for out of Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, Zanisha, is Rhonda yours? Yes. And I would say my kids, especially the one I lost, because I would, I, I would say for her, you know, to be gone, was she, am I just going to ball up in a ball or am I going to go out and do something and be something? And then I will also say Dana, because she kind of pushes me to, to do more. And I, cause I kind of feel like, well, I don't, I'm not qualified or I don't know. And then she was like, no, you have way more potential than you give yourself credit for. So she kind of pushed me to go that little extra mile. But if I had to say who loved me there, it would be my kids and my mom because I I, I had to keep going. And because I, I always say if for my kids to look at me and to see what I'm doing now, just like for my oldest to tell me that he was proud of me just because I text him to tell him that Dana had um, messaged me to ask me to be her personal assistant. And I was like, well, honey, I had already filled that spot. So you don't have to worry about that. And just for him to say that he was proud of me, it just makes you feel good. It makes you feel like, you know, that it's going to be okay. You know, you have those little hiccups, but I'm here for a reason. And so I I would say a lot of people kind of pushed me and ushered me and loved me through. So, yeah. I love the fact that you include your kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, yep. so Dr. Anita is, is one of the points of this to, to reflect on this and then express our gratitude to those mm-hmm. people. We feel moved to do that. I think that's a wonderful outcome of the situation to express gratitude. Cause that just strengthens mm-hmm. those connections and allows them to experience, uh, the uh, feedback of knowing that they made a difference and the encouragement right. that brings to them of knowing, you know, the, the value that they add. Um, and, you know, in some cases, um, as, um, as Denisha mentioned, you know, we may be thankful for a person who's, who's in heaven or who's not here. And 
uh, but we still hold that gratitude, hold space mm-hmm. for that gratitude in our heart. And, um, you know, that um, love that we shared is something that death cannot uh, take away. And so we have that, that comfort in that. Um, but then also uh, one of the things that Mr. Rogers often encouraged was to remember, you know, those people that have loved the good that lies within you and mm. nurture that. And, and he would often re- be speaking to people in television or people graduating from high school or college and say, you know, the world needs more of that part of you, that, that, uh, the part of you that was loved into being that was nurtured and encouraged that those people brought out of you and mm-hmm. to try to bring that best part of yourself uh, to the world, but because that's, that's really uh, what's needed. And so I think that um, is one way, you know, the subtitle of the book is bringing out the, you know, seven secrets, bring out the best in yourself and others from America's beloved neighbor. And I think that's one of the um, strategies that he used is something we can do relatively briefly but it helps us get connected and centered and remember, you know, our, our purpose. And uh, it also helps us to connect with those people that loved us into mm-hmm. being who we are. Um, so I think it's multifaceted. It, uh, it incorporates several of the secrets. So there's gratitude uh, because we experience gratitude. There's um, security, which is associated with feeling connected. Um, mm-hmm. There is a sense of uh, listening because you're kind of tuning in and listening to sort of the still small voice inside of us and in our own inner uh, dialogue as we're thinking about who really loved us into being. And then there is um, this idea of uh, pausing to reflect. He also wanted to think about how can we encourage people to participate in reflection more and how can we look at making goodness attractive? And Mm -hmm. so it sort of takes a lot of different pieces of the puzzle, the Mr. Rogers effect, the different um, strategies and puts them together in this in this exercise, and of course, the more often we do this, uh, this the stronger it gets. And you can even build an association with it, if it's snapping your fingers or you know uh, rubbing your cheek or whatever the case might be. Um, the more you visualize and think about these things and have a physical gesture, eventually that power of association gets strengthened and feeling that gratitude and connection and appreciation for life gets associated with that gesture. And eventually at the snap of, of the fingers, you can uh, tap into that feeling uh, where you feel equipped to bring that best part of yourself to whatever you're facing. Oh, Mr. Rogers was a uh, pioneer of emotional intelligence, <laughs> yes. least, right? Like I, I'm sitting here feeling already better. I mean, in our exercise, I thought of people that I haven't thought of in years and years and years, you know, and it felt good to remember them. Yeah. Um, Kia, so we haven't heard from you yet. What's on your mind? I think I was thinking on the emotional intelligence side as well. Um, One, even thinking about the humble, hungry, um, smart type, the three virtues. Um, And my biggest thing that I think I'm pulling from this is like why I became a coach. So, I was looking at one portion where it said, you know, a safe haven and a secure base. I think that's what Mr. Rogers provided. And a lot of times when I'm going to um, practice, you know, you're talking to, you know, our athletes and you really figure out that they are, they're wanting to be here so much because they're looking for that safe haven. They're looking for that base. And I think through the emotional intelligence, because you become more self-aware. Like I'm sitting here listening to this now and I see why, you know, you do the things you do. And kind of like what Carrie said, I think I'm already empathetic, but a lot of these things are going to help me to continue to improve, you know, that self-awareness part. And I'm talking about coaching because coaching is so pivotal, even in your professional life, because you need mentorship. Um, Even if you are an athlete. So I think my, I say all of that, to say this, how can we continue to coach up and encourage when we're in these different realms as a mentor or even being that mentee and providing it back or in that coaching realm um, so that we can continue to provide our kids, athletes, and even in the, again, professional workplace because emotional intelligence is necessary. Um, It goes back to allowing us to actually 
look at that one theme of listening for understanding and not necessarily listening to reply. Um, so how can we keep this reoccurring theme going so that we can continue to be impactful in the different, you know, positions that we take on? Great question. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing your experience and applying it to coaching and yeah, I do think that's a good question about emotional intelligence and how we how we keep that going. And, you know, I have a neighbor, a real estate agent who's a life coach, and he said he asked permission to share the book with his life coaching group and uh, recommended all, that they read it because he said he thought it should be required reading for life coaches because of the, the relevance. So I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, one of the things that Mr. Rogers believed was that if we could help children to become more emotionally intelligent, or as he put it, to remember that feelings are mentionable and manageable, he believed we could make the world a safer place for the next generation. Um, because when people did do experience those painful emotions like anger, um, frustration, when they learn to kind of increase that frustration tolerance. And uh, as the, the lyrics to his song say, learn to stop uh, when they plan something that's wrong and do something else instead and, and think this song, um, then, you know, they're, they're choosing a better response that's going to have better ramifications for themselves and then for the people around them and in the community within which, which they live. And so, um, one of the, you know, I, this again can uh, use several of the different secrets in unison, but I think secret two, which unpacks this concept of validating feelings and remembering that feelings are mentionable and manageable. I think sometimes people are hesitant to validate another person's feelings and concerned that it might intensify them. Um, but a lot of times once people are, are validated and they feel heard and they feel mm -hmm. understood and have voice to their feelings, uh, that can help them uh, sort of feel more calm and more at peace. And so I think one of the things is learning to have uh, self-empathy, tune into uh, what we're feeling, give ourselves permission to feel those feelings and do what Mr. Rogers said, which he learned from his mentor, Dr. McFarland. She taught him that everything that's human is mentionable and anything that's mentionable is manageable. And then he shortened that to feelings are mentionable and manageable. And I think, you know, when we're working with children or even, you know, when I was working as a substance abuse uh, counselor at a teen challenge, um, I remember I was working with a father and son and, you know, when I had been working with a son for a while and we'd been working on feelings and whenever he would get stuck and didn't know a feeling word, you know, cause it's, you know, how have you, how are you feeling on your journey of recovery? And he might say, well, I'm feeling good. Well, tell me more about, you know, what that means. And, oh, well, it's fine. <laughs> let's say here's a feeling wheel for you you know and then he would say okay well I feel encouraged or um you know I feel nervous or then he would be able to come up with a more specific word well then his dad was in the session and I asked his dad what was it like to hear your son open up and he said oh it felt good I said is there is there a feeling word under that and he's like oh his son popped out of the seat grabbed a worksheet and said here dad here's a feeling wheel for you <laughs> His dad is like, gee, feeling wheel. Can I get a feeling wheel for the office? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is, but it sounds great. Um, so Dana just, just sent us a, a, a chat. She says, emotional intelligence is innate, but can also be learned. It is essential for developing the skill of discernment. And uh, that's one of my favorite things about emotional intelligence is you can, to Kia's point, by becoming self-aware, you can increase your own EQ. And, um, and so, so that's a great point from Dana. Um, wish you were here, Dana. I'm in your office. Um, <laughs> it's she be said no feeling wheels in the office. You Sorry. look great in there. Oh, thanks. I think I'm going to take <laughs> yeah. over. It's, it's, it's I'm, I'm like, where is she? She looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's your, uh, there's your photo Wait, over there. There's your photo. Um, so, but I really, I, I, I want to move into this other thing because we, we've been chatting and, and I just, I feel like we got to get to this. So the whole concept of, of Mr. Rogers. Okay. So he passed away, what, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So he, he wasn't around to experience what we're seeing in terms of the challenges to our kids, like the school violence. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Um, what do you think Mr. Rogers would say uh, if he knew what we were dealing with right now um, between Sandy Hook and Uvalde and all the ones in between? You know, what advice do you think Mr. Rogers would have for us as parents and as, and as children? Well, you know, one of the things that Mr. Rogers used to always say anytime there was a tragedy and uh, he heard this from his mother and it's what she told them when he was a child, but she told him, you know, anytime that you see scary things in the news, look for the helpers because mm -hmm. there'll always be people that are helping mm -hmm. and uh, look for, look for the helpers. And he also believed that anybody who did anything to help a child was considered a hero. And so I think that he would uh, be very thankful and encourage those that are trying to create uh, safety in the school systems and um, encouraging children to be able to talk about their feelings and have a safe space to make them mentionable and manageable so that there can be a way to uh, learn how to express uh, angry feelings in a way that doesn't hurt other people or themselves. Uh, so I think, you know, a lot of school counselors focus on things like social emotional learning and uh, having groups uh, in school and even, you know, some other countries, like when we look at um, uh, what's going on overseas, they actually have uh, the word, uh, I forget what language it comes from, but it's the word closentod, which means uh, class time, where they have an hour of empathy a week. They, they have an empathy class, just like they have math and science and reading in the curriculum, they're teaching children empathy and they have them sit around in a circle and share stories and struggles. And then they collaborate um, almost like, like in mental health, we would call it a treatment team. And I'm sure there's probably a similar legal thing where you get a you know team of attorneys or professionals together and, and kind of collaborate and how can we, you know, help each other uh, on this particular case. And, but that's what they would do in, in school. And then if no one had a particular problem that they wanted to share and get input from the team, then they would focus on having this uh, sort of warm time together where they would just share and enjoy each other's company. Um, but I think Mr. Rogers would encourage us to um, create an atmosphere where empathy is encouraged, um, where emotional intelligence development is encouraged, where we're um, being willing to listen with more than our ears. Mm. Um, which involves being prepared to ask uncomfortable questions and listen to uncomfortable answers. Um, you know, as parents want to, you know, know what's going on with their, their children and, and teachers and counselors want to know if there's some bullying, if there's sexual abuse going on. So, you know, creating an atmosphere where a person's able to talk about uncomfortable things and, and share and, and being willing to listen. So I think it starts with, listening with more than your ears, validating emotions, you're making feelings mentionable and manageable, um, creating that space for reflection, where we're reflecting on what's happening, learning from experiencing experiences. Um, you know, I think that's, that would be maybe a, a starting point. Uh, I think those are some of the things that he might encourage. Mm. Yeah. Well, we, we sure need him right now. Mm. Um, Dana, do you uh, have any questions for Dr. Anita? You know, I don't have the best um, service, but I've enjoyed what I've seen and heard so far. But I think anything that encourages empathy and encourages people to see the world from something other than their own unique perspective and realize that their behavior affects other people in the world mm -hmm. is a good thing. And I love the idea of the empathy hour. I think that's fantastic. Just put yourself in a position of somebody else for a minute. Okay. So Dana, are we going to have empathy hour? <laughs> no, not, no, not at our firm, not our but firm. I think it's a good idea for other people. <laughs> no, of course. Of course we can. We can have it right after right do empathy hour at two o'clock on Friday. <laughs> okay. So we'll plan it. Bet. We got this. Empathy hour first, then empathy hour. Right. <laughs> I, I think hour. that's the order. I think the order of that is, is essential that it be done in that sequence. <laughs> well, you are an innovator, Dana. So thank you. Thank you for that leadership. Um, so Carrie, what do you think? Um, I know you're a parent like me and you, um, you probably are horrified by, you know, the things that we've seen in the, in the news um, related oh, yeah. to children and our children being in school. Um, when I 
when, when the Sandy Hook thing happened, I was, um, I think my daughter was in kindergarten and I remember dropping her off the next day, just feeling the fear myself, you know, um, and, and not having anywhere for that fear to go, um, and, and not knowing what was going to happen next and, and that feeling of helplessness. So, um, what are your thoughts on, on how Mr. Rogers would help us, um, right now with those feelings as parents? I mean, I think it goes to kind of, well, you mean how, how to ho- help us cope with our feelings? Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. That's a really good question. I was thinking more along the lines of how would he teach children to be more empathetic or be more understanding. I know kids' brains, I think that's the last part of a kid's brain to develop is the part that at least, so I have a teenage boy, he's 17, and I have done a little bit of research on why he can be such a jerk. And my research shows that when when the brain develops, the last part of the brain for a teenage boy to develop is that, that which expresses empathy. So Betsy, I'm totally not answering your question because I don't really know the answer to it. I think that's a good question. Like what would Mr. Rogers do to teach kids how to cope with it? But I think the other side of it is what would he encourage our society to do to help prevent these things from happening? You know? Well, I have the fear. And so I, I always have to make it about me. Right. So I want to know what Mr. Rogers would say to me. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it, like the anxiety, right. Is that what you're saying? Like, how, how do you, how do you cope with any type of anxiety? That's, I mean, Anita, like not only about anxiety about school shootings, but I mean, just anxiety in, in general, you know, there's so much going on in the world right now. Like there's so many reasons to be anxious. It gets really easy. So how, what would Mr. Rogers tell us? Yeah, I mean, I think um, Carrie and Betsy are both both right. There are many things that can trigger our anxiety. Um, Just, you know, turning on the news, seeing things that are happening and, um, you know, even even stressors in our own lives. uh, And it's easy to to experience anxiety and, you know, whatever we tend to spend our time thinking about and meditating on and tends to get magnified and get larger and can take up more of our our mental space. Um, so I think Mr. Rogers would want to encourage us first to, and, and I think would um, be proud of you for mentioning that, you know, being willing to say, yeah, it is, it's easy to get anxious and to f- feel fearful and to acknowledge those feelings. And then to ask the question, like, I think he would <laughs> encourage you to do exactly what you're doing, right? To name the feeling, to mention it, and then think about, okay, now how do I want to manage it? Ideally, what do I want to do, you know, with this anxiety? And so um, one of the things that he taught, like when he met with Jeffrey Erlinger, the young man in the wheelchair, and he asked him, like, do you ever feel blue? Um, you know, what, what kinds of things do you do? Uh, and then he shared that, you know, when he was a kid, he would sometimes play with puppets when he felt sad or when he felt alone. Um, and then as an adult, you know, he was a pianist. He studied at in Florida at Rollins College, um, and he was a music major, as was his wife, you know, and he played piano and he would he, he wrote all the songs for the program. He uh, wrote the scripts and then the songs. And, you know, he said he would pound out his angry feelings on the piano. But that was a way he could express his anger and get it out without hurting himself, without hurting anyone else. Um, and so I think that it, for his anxiety, he would, you know, he tended toward creative expression, right? Writing a song about it, right? You know, playing a song about it, um, you know, using puppets to express it. Um, and I think it would be interesting, you know, to see what what kinds of things do you, now there's certain things that we know from the research literature, right? And what what works in terms of how the brain works, like when we do things like meditation, um, our brain, you know, as um, Carrie was saying, you know, the brain develops from the bottom to the top. So the prefrontal cortex, which is uh, what uh, psychiatrist and neuroscientist Dr. Amen calls the boss in your brain or the cop in your rearview mirror that helps uh, keep you on task and uh, helps you drive safely and follow the rules mm-hmm. and things like that is also the area of the brain associated with empathy. So it is 
you know, last to develop. And it's been um, said that the brain's not fully developed till the age of, of 25. Um, but when we are um, in that relaxed, sort of peaceful, regulated state that we talked about from that 10 second transformation activity, it's easier for us to think with that front part of our brain and to think about our long-term goals and what we want to accomplish and to kind of regulate that anxiety. It's challenging for us to be anxious and relaxed at the same time. So when we do deep breathing, progressive muscle relaxation, uh, meditation, some of those things can help us uh, shift gears. There's also, of course, different um, medications or supplements that can help as well. Um, but I'm curious, uh, like, uh, Betsy and Carrie, what do you guys and, and, and Denisha or Kier, Dana, what, what do you guys do when you feel anxious? What do you do with that anxiety? So I've learned to try to focus, focus on something. And then I, I remember how I felt before and then I made it through. So I kind of kind of talked myself through it. Like, it's going to be okay. You've been here before. You'll get through it. Denisha, you give great pep talks. I try. You do. <laughs> Um, I, I tell myself, okay, you're, you're, you're anxious. You're having, I try, I try to break it down. Okay. I got fear about something mm -hmm. in the future. That's what anxiety is. Right. Mm -hmm. But what if it all works out? Mm -hmm. What if it all works out? Right. You know, that's what I tell myself. And that gets me out of my own head and kind of points me toward a future where again, it all works out. And I don't know if that's scientific, but that's what I do. Yeah. You know, it's uh, in uh, CBT, there's something they call uh, killing the ants. Um, the ant is an acronym for automatic negative thought. And so, you know, when we have automatic negative thoughts, like uh, awfulizing, right? We're saying, oh, it's everything's awful or, or catastrophizing. Nothing's going to work out. This is going to go mm -hmm. terribly wrong. You know, um, those are considered ants or automatic negative thoughts. And, um, sort of feeding them to your internal anteater and saying like, is this thought absolutely true? Like, do I know that this is absolutely true that, you know, nothing's going to work out well? Well, probably mm -hmm. not. I mean, there's very few absolutes in life, right? So, okay. If I don't have evidence for that, you know, well, then we can start to deconstruct the thought. And um, Dr. Amen's seen on, on scans, on neuroimaging, the difference that it can make um, in the brain when people do that. So it's, it's very effective. I stumbled onto something. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Kia, what do you do when you feel anxiety? How do you cope? Um, prayer. Um, I think that's my biggest thing. I know a lot of times I walk around here with a straight face until everybody sees me smile. That is the normal Kia. Um, but I try to stay very, Cool under pressure and I put myself if there's a crucial conflict I try to put myself in that person's shoes I try to also make sure that although it may not have been me that caused any of the issues I have to respect their feelings so normally anytime I have a conversation with anyone and it's a crucial conflict as I like to call it or a crucial conversation hard conversations I always tell the person I respect your feelings and, you know, you walk through it. But I think me, prayer is the is the best thing um, because I'm a perfectionist. So one little thing and being a creative, I think a lot of people don't see that. Us as creatives are very on the cusp of being perfectionist. So if something is off, we're looking for our Gorilla Glue. We're looking, you may not see it, but we see it. And we're trying to keep that straight face because I can't show you that I see something because if you see it, then I just I just broke myself for the day. And then I do have an issue where I will stay on something because I have to fix it. Um, so that's when I know I have to go into that prayer mode like, Lord, let me focus. Lord, let me get through this. And, and it pretty much works out, you know, just like Dana just said, you know, every Every situation can be painful, but you know, you, you tend to survive it, you know? So I think that's how I get through it. That's my long winded way of saying, I pray. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Carrie. 
Oh, I was going to say Denisha had her. Um, I think I saw her raise her hand. I think. Oh, oh yeah. I was. I wanted to make sure I asked. Um, because you know, he taught us about neighborhood and basically how the neighborhood was basically family. So how would you feel? How how do you think he would feel now, seeing how how we went from the neighborhood being our family and it takes a village to that's not the way it is now. Like some neighbors probably don't even know their neighbors. So how, how do you think he would feel seeing the neighborhood that he taught us about and then seeing the neighborhood that we're living in now? Yeah, that, that's a good question, Denisha. I, I have seen people wearing t-shirts that say, Mr. Rogers did not adequately prepare me for the people. For my neighborhood, right. Uh, <laughs> And so I can get a sense of 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 what you mean by that. And mm-hmm. you know, it was it was definitely um, you know, an interesting television neighborhood that he had where mm-hmm. Mr. McFeely, his speedy delivery man, who was named after his grandpa, um, you know, would come in and, and talk with him and sit down with him and watch a video and mm-hmm. they would they would talk about the topic of divorce, you know, and the Mr. Mm-hmm. McFeely would quickly leave uh, mm-hmm. in that episode. And then Mr. Rogers came back to the, the family room and sort of reflected and said, you know, Mr. McFeely got a little uncomfortable. He seemed to mm-hmm. leave really fast when I started talking and we started talking about divorce, you know, he, he didn't seem comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And some people aren't comfortable with that, mm-hmm. you know? And so he, he just, you know, it, it was sort of brilliant. And I think one of you guys said he was a master of emotional intelligence. Um, but, you know, yeah, you're, you're right. You know, my, my uh, UPS guy does not come over to uh, have long chats and uh, mm-hmm. watch videos, right? Right. Um, it's, it's not always, uh, you know, like what we saw on television uh, in, in every neighborhood. And so, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, one of the things that uh, Mr. Rogers did is he had such a unifying presence, you know, when you uh, like, there's some YouTube videos on different episodes and you can kind of see comments where people will say, um, like I, I read some comments. One guy said, you know, I don't believe in religion, but if there's a heaven, Mr. Rogers is there. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, um, I think, you know, I'm not a political person, but if Mr. Rogers was running for president, I would, I would have voted, you know? And so, and you see people from just all, you know, Mr. Rogers is a Presbyterian minister, but people from all different faiths and walks of life really appreciated uh, what he had to offer in terms of uh, creating uh, a neighborly society where we care for our neighbors. And so, you know, I think he would encourage us to take, uh, you know, what you shared um, earlier, Denisha, the, the sense of connection to your kids and thinking about, you know, how proud of you they are and your mom and those people that have loved you into being and whoever that is right for each one of us Mm -hmm. uh, to our interactions with our neighbors and seek to, you know, be that presence uh, in our own neighborhood. Um, And, you know, I think of the story, have you guys heard that story about the young boy who was walking along the seashore and he was throwing in the, um, uh, is it the starfish into the water? Mm -mm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I okay, so elderly gentleman comes up and says, like, what are you doing? There's thousands of those that have washed up. It, it can't make a difference to be doing that. And he tossed one in the water and said, well, it made a difference for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even if it seems like sort of this grassroots, like one person at a time effort to um, make a difference and to bring the Mr. Rogers effect into our neighborhoods, you are making a difference. You know, I work in clinical mental health and my husband works in psychiatry and we both worked with people that have, um, you know, attempted to, to die by suicide and uh, people that have contemplated suicide or have said, you know, I just prayed that one person would just smile at me and that if God wanted me to live, he would send, you know, and this person smiled at me. Mm-hmm. So I decided uh, not, not to do that, you know? And so it's, it's, it's amazing to, the small things can really make such a big difference. Um, well, that is our Empower Hour today, but I think that's just a beautiful place to end. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Anita, for being on our show and coming and teaching us and making us think. And that's what this is all about. So we appreciate you and we um, encourage everybody to be the Mr. Rogers. And mm-hmm. 
check out Anita's book, The Mr. Rogers Effect. Where can we find it? I wrote it down that I want to get it, but is it on Amazon? Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for asking. Yes, it's on Amazon, um, bakerbooks.com, uh, uh, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold, whatever neighborhood bookstore you have is able to, to get it and order it. But uh, definitely it's on Amazon. It's also on Audible if you like uh, podcast uh, audiobooks. Uh, you can always I do. I love Audible. Right. Yeah, me too. Cool. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for being here. Yes. And thank you to all our viewers. And we will see y'all next week with another empowered woman. (laughs) 